Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Define University podcast, a space designed for educators to ignite your passion, transform your mindset, and learn to love who you are in the process. My name is Lindsay Titus, and I am here to share simple yet strategic steps each week with you to build your momentum into creating a life full of purpose and passion. The time is now. Let's dive on in to today's episode. Welcome back, everyone, to another brand new episode of the Define University podcast. My name is Lindsay Titus, and I am here with another Share Your Story series where we bring educators from across really the country, continent, and globe uh, together on this podcast to share their story, inspire, motivate, and ultimately leave that impact with you as the listener so you can get out there and share your story. So I'm so excited to introduce you to today's guest, which is the one and only Tom Murray. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. What an honor it is to be here. I'm so excited. I know I have been following you for, for a very long time. Um, I read Personal and Authentic, loved all of it. I mean, just, it was one of those that, that the title alone, which I'm sure you've heard, but it, they were two words that, you know, to me, those are so, so important. So I'm so excited to dive in today. Um, for people that might not yet be, be familiar with you or connected with you, can you just start us off by sharing a little bit who you are, what you do, all that good stuff? Cheryl, thank you for having me. What an honor it is. Love the podcast. Love your work. Think it's the best and top notch. So keep doing what you're doing as well. But I'm Tom Murray. In my day job, I'm the director of innovation for Future Ready Schools. And it's really been a long road getting here. And I'm not going to bore you all with every single job step of the way. But I've served at elementary. I've served at secondary. I've been the uh, teacher. I've been an administrator. Uh, got recruited to work nationally about six years ago now. It's hard to believe it's six years. And so now I get to work with school and district leaders all across the country, working for Future Ready Schools schools, bipartisan, nonprofits. So we don't charge for what we do. We're an equity-focused organization. Um, but I'm also an author. And most importantly, I'm a dad of two little ones, Paisley and Caden. And they're part of the way, like, I try and see through their lens and through their eyes of, like, what is it that I want for them? How is dad, like, what are the experiences in the classrooms that I want for them or the social-emotional side for them? Like, what are the experiences I want for them for their future? And how do I help foster that for every child in our nation? And so having the opportunity to work nationally, what I know is no matter where I go in the country, coast to coast, there's amazing people working incredibly hard for kids and awesome things happening. And we need to be so proud. And I love your notion of telling our story and sharing our story, and whether we're district leaders or school leaders, or it's just us personally being proud of the work that we do each day. So what an honor it is to join you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I think, you know, kind of going even off of that, I think one of the things that is so hard is to truly, you know, in order to share our story, we have to know our story. And I know for me growing up, I I didn't want to own it. I didn't want it to be my story. I worked through, you know, we had um, addiction in my household, mental health challenges. I didn't love my story. Yet in, in teaching, being in the classroom, it's kind of the thing that held me back. I didn't feel like I could be me because I had no idea who me was. <laughs> I didn't know that until I started doing the work to figure out what's my story? What do I have to offer? And I think that can be really hard for people that aren't used to celebrating themselves or finding those talents and those strengths. Um, either from just what you've seen in working with educators or through your own journey, um, you know, can you talk a little bit about that? Like, how did you come to know, like, who is Tom Murray? Like, how did you really identify like what that story is behind, you know, what people see you as? 
Yeah. So what a great question. I totally agree with your mantra and your thought process there. You know, I look, I really believe like my story, number one, it's funny that the very last words of personal and authentic is your story's not finished yet. And so in writing those, those final words, it's, it was to help encourage of like, there's still not just like more work to be done in like a, I'm tired kind of way, but there's still room to continue to get better. And for me, it's how do I continue to get better just a little bit, not compared to other people, but compared to myself. And so if you read Personal and Authentic in my first chapter, really what defined me was really a lot of my first year teaching. I was 21 years old. I was fresh out of college. I thought I had a clue is what I was getting myself into. I was so fortunate to have a mentor across the hall. And I often joke, one of the things I share in Personal and Authentic is literally on that very first day, I swear every kid walked into my classroom and was like, I wish I had Mr. Weeder this year, right? And that's what I like that open up. And I remember being 21 and he had been this 26 year veteran. He'd been teaching for longer than I had been alive. And, you know, not to rehash all of it, but what I share in the first chapter of Personal Authentic, there was multiple tragedies that first year. My mentor I'm referring to, who was willing to call me out man to man, one-on-one when my mindset was off, when I was the problem, when I was the person complaining about something in a faculty room, he was willing to call me out man to man, one-on-one, not gossip about me in the hallway, but pull me aside and be like, Tom, like we don't do that here. And I'm so fortunate to have a mentor that loved me enough to hold me accountable from a professional end. And so first and foremost, having a, a, somebody like that across the hall, that was almost as much of a father figure for me as anything else, you know, was really, um, it, it altered the, the course of my career. But part of what I share in Personal and Authentic is the tragedy of that mentor early, uh, midway through that year, um, being killed in a car accident. And I will tell you, and it's hard for me to talk at length about without getting emotional because it brings me back to over 20 years ago. But the impact that I saw him have, I can flash back to watching kids like run down to him in a given day. I can flash back to seeing kids and people come. One of the other stories I share is is, uh, watching this young couple walk down the hallway after school. It was in my first couple of months of teaching and in the back of his room and they walked in and said, Mr. Reader, Mr. Reader, do you remember me? And it was over 20 years prior and he remembered them. And it was blew my mind as this brand new teacher. But what he showed me is the impact that he had. My mentor had 4,000 people show up at his funeral, literally 4,000 people paid their respect because he was involved heavily in his large church. He was involved in his town, very much so. He was involved. So many people knew him, but to me, it was about the impact. And so when I think about personal and authentic, part of the reason that I, I, I start out with that story, number one, is to be uber vulnerable and share where my mindset was off, share where I was the roadblock and the problem at times, and just be real with that because we're all human. We all screw it up. We all have bad days. We all have bad attitudes on certain days. We're people. We're human, right? But it was his impact, his legacy, and seeing his fingerprints of impact that really did last for generations. And so after that, following that, I won't get into all these pieces, but I had another very significant tragedy, school-related, only a number of weeks later. And I will tell you, I I, I finished my first year literally saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. I remember going home and after those two deaths, literally like crying my eyes out and just saying, I can't do this as an educator. If this is the the attachment, the emotional trauma that we had been through as a classroom and ultimately as a school in that, in that time period, I will tell you, I just, I felt like I'm done, but it was the people around me. It was the people that got me through. It wasn't the standards. It wasn't the curriculum. And listen, that's important stuff. But I'll tell you, after those tragedies and those couple of days following that, I could care less about my science standards that day. 
It was the people side. It was the human side. It was having a principle that literally carried me to the finish line that first year because I was an emotional wreck after losing my mentor and losing a student literally in a handful of weeks towards the end of the year there. It was the people side that got me through. And it was also the people side when I felt like I couldn't go on that said that I could, that encouraged me, that literally put their arms around me, not just literally put their arms around me and said, I got your back. We can do this. And so when I think to the evolution to where I am now, you know, like it's hard to, I still get choked up even sharing that, even though it was two decades, over two decades ago, but I share it because it's really become the core of who I am is how do we make sure that we see people first? And I know that speaks to the heart of the work that you do around SEL and those pieces, because it's so easy to get caught up in data points and test scores. And listen, all that stuff has a place in some capacity, as long as we look at it right and under the right context. But when we look at it, it's the people side of the work. And so when I try to look back on my own, you know, what was the legacy I left as a teacher or as a principal? And did people know that I valued them first and foremost for who they are? So much of it goes back to that first year teaching where I had somebody that loved me enough to call me out to keep my mindset straight, but also had somebody that left a, a, like a true legacy. And it really gave me something to aspire to be. Oh, I love it. I I mean, and I think it it really is that's so important to understand that your story is your story, but there's going to be other people in it, right? Our story will hopefully involve other people. And it's, you know, part of the work that I do at Define You is really getting people to love being the leader of their story, right? Like it's my story. There's going to be other people in it. And I open my arms to the support and community and networks that I've been building over the last, you know, your education last 15 years. But it's so important to not lose sight that it's mine, right? That it's, that it's mine and my goals. And I know something for me that continues to shift over time. So I just finished my 15th year. I think I've done, you know, most I've done a lot of different positions in that time, both in public school as well as out. I, you know, after five years of public school teaching, I said, I I said that I can't do this anymore. And I left and I've done everything, but I worked in residential. I worked non-for-profit. I worked uh, in home doing private-based ABA therapy. And I'm now back in the public school, just finishing up my admin certification, ready to take on that next kind of chapter in my own journey. And I wouldn't trade that for anything, because I think it's helped me see so many perspectives. And the really cool part of it I was doing this week is reflecting back on how far I've come from my first classroom. You know, my first classroom, I thought you had to buy all the things, do all the things, stay up late, laminate all the things. And that was going to make me a good teacher. And now I'm like, give me a, give me a whiteboard, give me a sheet of paper and let's go. Like, I trust that it's going to happen. I don't need to go find anything. Did you find that too, like over your, over the last couple of decades in education has, has kind of your mission or just what you really focused on, has that changed as you've, as you've changed, I guess? Yeah, I would say absolutely. And I'll be totally vulnerable when I share this and what I say, you know, I, I entered education that fresh out of college, as I just shared, you know, having loved kids, I actually went to college to be pre-med from the get-go and I, I loved it. I did really well. And about midway through my college experience, I started to realize I'm more about the kid than I am about the medicine. And I don't want to just work with kids when they're sick. And that was kind of my 19 year old version of maybe I want to go into education. And so having gone into that, I wanted to do it. Just, I had a lot of teachers that impacted me and I could share stories of just, you know, inspiration and to things that I still remember years later, those teachers. And so I had that in my world and I just had enjoyed working with kids, but I will tell you fast forward 20 some odd years now, 
and my mission is it's far more refined. And I think as educators, that happens over time. You know, I often ask, just like we talk about our why and our purpose, and we all do, you know, we all have those conversations from time to time. I also believe people's whys can change. Right now, I work for this equity focused organization, and I will tell you in the last 10 years, uh, kids that, that don't have what Tom Murray had growing up have really become my focus because I recognize I grew up two-parent home in suburban New York. You know, I wasn't wealthy by any means, but certainly grew, grew up in kind of middle-class America. I never worried about my next meal. I never went to, you know, to school without clean clothes. I had a fresh, you know, cut and clean clothes for the first day of school, went on vacation once a year. And that's what I knew. And so when I started, it was kind of all I ever knew, right? And so that was my lens. And so over time, as I started to work with many students, I will tell you my own lens got in the way many times when even as a principal, I know my own bias in my head would start to say like, why in the world does this girl's mother not do, because my mom did, mm -hmm. and to start to recognize the difference in the stories throughout. And so now doing work, it's part of my passion really comes from, and sometimes people will push back being like, how can you claim to do all this equity work and you're a white male, right? And I get that question for often and I understand where it's coming from. Part of it is having a platform. I also look at it as my, my obligation to highlight issues, whether it's issues in access, issues in opportunity and working in so many of these areas now across the board, part of my passion is recognizing I've been given many opportunities in life based on things that I had nothing to do with, right? But there's so many kids in our country that don't remotely have the opportunities that I did, that don't remotely go to school, that, you know, that, that aren't worried about their next meal, aren't worried about their cell phone being shut off. And so how do I leverage my privilege per se to be able to benefit those that did not have it at all? And so my passion becomes when I look in the eyes of those, those children, whether they're seven or 17, that don't have, especially that don't have remotely what I had or the opportunities or the access that I did, it motivates me to try and level that playing field for them. When I look at my own babies, Paisley and Caden, I see they've got everything they need, probably times 10. And just being, they've got the access, they've got the devices, they've got the great teachers, the great school system, just because of what they were born into, not because they had anything to do with that initially going. So my why's really been refined to that general, like I love kids and want to help kids, to recognizing we have vast disparities in equity in our country. We always have. COVID has amplified those. Our black and brown students are disproportionately across the board, have fewer opportunities, have less access. It's about 16.9 million children in our country just from the access end. And we think about COVID and the pandemic. We think about as for an example, like it, it didn't create equity issues. It's amplified those that have always existed. And so it's why I do the work that I do now. It's why I try and support those. It's why that I'll work on from a like a federal end and supporting some of the, the money and the bailout packages recently and helping to weigh in on some of those to, to help it disproportionately support those kids that need it most and recognizing, you know, um, certainly schools across the board all have needs. But if you think, and we're in a high-end area, um, it was really opening for me, eye-opening for me when I started to work nationally to go to other parts of the country that, for instance, I had a teacher laptop 20 years ago, literally 20 years ago. And just a couple of years ago, pre-COVID, I was down in another state and the teachers were so excited because they were getting their, their first teacher laptop in 2018. And it was just something as an example, even in my teaching career, I just always took for granted. And so I would say no matter where we are in that regard, it's important to step back 
to have empathy for the stories that we may not always know. And whether that's in our classrooms and at students that may have stories on their heart and personal and authentic, I talk about the hidden stories within and that maybe we have these stories on our heart, but it's also important to examine our own stories, to step back, to say, what are the things in life that maybe I've taken for granted? I think the pandemic's forced us to do that as individuals, right? And so over time, my mission, my why, my purpose has been refined to particularly try and support those students who need it most. Yeah, and I think I, I think it's so so important. I work with I work with a lot of educators that, you know, when we when I ask what's your why, they're like, well, I don't love it, but this is it. I'm like, then we gotta start. We gotta redo, right? We gotta start over because it is absolutely okay. As you grow and evolve, you will continue to grow and evolve, and therefore your mission, your impact, your why, your purpose. You know, my purpose now. I'm very similar. My purpose now is very different. Than, than 15 years ago, um, when I, you know, thought what I wanted was to be in the classroom. And then I went through a whole other change when I realized I don't want to be in the classroom. What does that mean for me? What is that going to look like? And, you know, it's just continued to evolve. And I think over the last three years, my main focus has really been evolving into this uh, blending of personal and professional life. Um, because I was, all into my job, right? Wake up early, stay late all the time. And then I became a mom and it just wasn't, it was still doable. I still could have done all that, but I didn't want to anymore. Right. I wanted to be home. I wanted to be more with my family. And so I've really worked hard at blending personal and professional. It's something that I see you share a lot about as well. So I know we have that in common. Um, and I know you are a super proud dad of, of both of your kids. Um, I, I got a shout out though. It's, it's Paisley. Is that her name? Yeah. Yep, I got to yep. shout out her turtle saving though. Can we talk about that for a second? Like, yeah, we certainly can. Well, it's a, yeah. And I think there's an interesting connection there and I appreciate that um, shout out and I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. So, so part of Paisley's story, and I have her permission to share this. She's 11 years old. Part of what I share in Personal and Authentic is I talk about her story and what it was like at 10 months old, the night that we found out she had incredibly severe food allergies. We had uh, friends come over for dinner. We didn't feed them uh, her anything different. They happened to bring over hummus. She actually, you know, 10 months old, they're, they're pretty messy kids. She happened to get a little bit on her hand and she rubbed her eye. And in about a minute and a half period, I watched my happy-go-lucky 10-month-old start gasping for air, become completely red, and like literally not be able to breathe. And I watched and, and sheer horror going from this 10-month-old that's just happy-go-lucky, having fun, smiling, to like, what in the world just happened? My Like, is my daughter going to live? And so I re- recount some of like what it was like to grab her out of that chair, to run her to the to the car, to literally do a hundred miles an hour to the airport, like begging God to save my daughter, to what it was like running into that hospital and grabbing her from literally putting park in front of the ER, grabbing her out of her car seat, screaming in the hospital about needing an EpiPen and like what it was like in those moments. And then even that night, what it was like coming back from the hospital and just laying there listening to every single breath. And What I share is, and I share those pieces related to her story, because then I share some of the data. When Paisley was in second grade and into third grade, she missed 35 days of school and she was tardy 20 times. What I'll often do with educators is whether a keynote or whatever it might be, I'll put that data up on the screen and I'll ask, what are some judgments people might make? Just be totally real. And what comes out of it is like parents don't care, kids disconnected, maybe there's drugs, maybe she's pregnant, maybe there's bullying, probably low academic, like all the things that we naturally might put together of like, Kids not showing up, what's the issue here? But then I tell the story, a part of the story that I just shared here. And when I start to say in those 35 absences, every single one of them, she was two hours from our home undergoing food allergy therapy as the first child in the Northeast to undergo it for sesame. 
it starts to change things, especially when I start to share every single time she would say, like, mommy or daddy, I really wish I could be in school today. You know, in 19 of those 20 tardies, when I think about part of her story, it was because she had a 7 a.m. appointment two hours from our house. And we would get back at one o'clock in the afternoon after going through therapy, driving two hours to get back to school. And how grateful I am that her second grade teacher, thank you, Mrs. Thomas, and third grade teacher, thank you, Mr. Moyer, when she would walk back into that classroom on those Monday afternoons, it was Paisley, I'm so glad you're here, honey. It wasn't, here's the five things you missed again this morning because they understood her story. And in that 14 months, you could look at the data and you could say, man, 35 days absent, 20 days tardy in 14 months and make all those assumptions. But in those 14 months, my little courageous warrior now eats 2000 seeds of sesame every single day where she had been hospitalized for literally only a few at a time. We almost lost her three times. EpiPen saved her life three times. And so when I start to tell her the story and start to share that, my hope in sharing that is that helps people step back a little bit to say like, what's going on here now quickly we can judge. And it's why I'm personal authentic. I share how like the difference between making a judgment and having empathy, it's understanding the story. It really, really is. And I believe a story, a child's story defines the context in which his or her learning occurs, like stories of racism, stories of abuse, stories of hope, stories of wealth, stories of opportunity, stories of neglect. Right. And those are the stories that are walking through our, our walls each day or not through our walls, through our doors, I guess it would be, um, or logging into our classrooms online. And so to fast forward to what you're referring to, I'm so proud because we, we go down um, to the shore in New Jersey a lot of times, particularly because of her. She um, came across this lady what, about a, uh, it was last summer. It was the summer of 2020. She came across this lady and she was, it looked like she was almost cleaning out a drain. And my little girl goes and said, what are you doing? Kind of just curious. And the lady looked at her and said, I'm saving the baby turtles because they fall in here and they can't help themselves. And she was scooping them out. My daughter became fascinated by it. So we would often go down. Sometimes we'd make the trip, drive late on a Friday night, back on a Saturday morning, and she'll spend about two hours going to all these 10 drains all around this community that these storm drains that these baby turtles fall into. So what's crazy is people in the community started to take note. Here's this, it was 10, now 11 year old girl. One of you know, some, a parent goes with her so that that way she's got some safety because, because it's going around the community and near the road and whatnot. So last year she saved 111 baby turtles. We connected with Stockton university in New Jersey, and they were able to, they have this program for these two turtles. They're not endangered, but they're protected. And just recently she got to launch them after a year um, and, and release them. And it was just a really neat experience, but I share those in tandem because it really goes to empathy. And one of the things I'm most proud of my baby girl is she has such a heart for those that need help. But why? Because of her own story, because she has spent so many years of her life undergoing literally daily therapy to keep her safe when she eats. Right. And so we think about that as an example, her story I see in her and I'm so proud it's given her the mindset of, I want to help others. And that's why when she's at school, she does things to help other students that she recognizes may need extra support. And it's why I beam as a father for her, because she's leveraging her story, which has been tragedy, which has been trauma, which has been times where she's been ostracized or had kids that have made fun of her or not being able to eat at a birthday party or all those kinds of things. And she's leveraged it for good. And to see her turtle article on the Jimmy Fallon show was pretty darn cool. To see her turtle article in CNN and Fox News and ABC, it just beams her with pride because it, 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 it's one, you know, one thing traveled to the next and all of a sudden it's all over the news, all over the place about this girl that goes on the weekends and devotes a lot of her Saturdays to save these baby turtles who can't save themselves. But it's because of her story and leveraging some of the tragedy in her story 
to give her a heart to help those in need. Oh, I love it so much. I, I was like, we have to talk about it because I read about it when you shared it. And I was like, this is amazing. And, you know, having a daughter, you know, myself and I, I know a lot of, you know, I said really early on with her is I want her to grow up different than I did. Meaning I want her to believe in herself earlier than I did. I've, I've figured it out now, but it took me a few extra years you know, I want her to. So we do mirror work together, right? We do our mirror moments together. We are there and I am modeling and doing all that I can um, to help her because it truly is, you know, that that connection, right? Starts at home, takes us into work, takes us everywhere we go. And so I love, I love that you, you really embody that every single day. So I appreciate that. I'm proud of my baby girl. I'm proud of my son too. He's a goofball. He's a total goofball. Oh boy, it's seven, but uh, I'm proud of him as well. <laughs> awesome. Um, couple things. And then I just want to touch on uh, one of my favorite questions to ask during, during these chats is, you know, I think it's really important to remember that finding other people's stories will take time, right? It might take, you know, there's, there's some families I think that I call and they immediately pick up and I get the whole story in that afternoon and boom, like we're ready to go. Others, it does. It takes several calls, some emails, maybe a home visit. And so I just, I want to throw it out there because I know I have educators that reach out and say, but I tried and I, and they're not responding. And I just think, you know, instead of jumping then to judgment, I think it's that, it's that proof that we've got to really like dive deeper into that empathy and understand that there is a story and, and we just got to keep trying to, to do that. Do you agree with that? Or what are yeah. your thoughts on that? Yeah. Let me, let me make a couple of analogies as what I'm processing as you're talking. Cause I, I totally agree with it. First, think about a staff member, a colleague somewhere across the board that, you may look at that you'd be like, man, I struggle being around that person. Everything's negative. Everything's horrible. Everything stinks all the time. doesn't matter who the principal is or the worst person in the world. You think about that and it's easy to look at a colleague like that. And I'm talking about myself being that middle school teacher, being that middle school principal. It'd be easy. It's easy at times to look at somebody that and almost write them off, ostracize them, be like, I don't want to be. And I've, I've done that at times in the sense of being like, I just don't want to be around their drama. Right. But here's the thing. At one point in time, a principal looked across the table and was like, that's the person that I want for this job. That's the best person for this position. So my question for you is like, what happened there? What happened there? For some reason, there was a shift in mindset because I'm guessing the person wasn't like that in their interview chair, right? So there was a process, there's a journey, there's a story that brought that person where they are. Like maybe that person feels like they've been burned time and time and time again by whatever the case might be. And maybe that's reality. Maybe it's not, but there's a story there. So what happens, right? Think about though, when we, when we get to the heart of the story, think about just another, just kind of example here, how many times in a given day, and I'm uber guilty of this, I'll like walk into a local grocery store or something. Somebody looks at you like, Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you doing? Good. Like, why is that always the conversation? Do we honestly think those people are always good all the time? No, because we avoid a lot of times hard conversations or we avoid, especially in those situations, like not really sharing the story. And there's times to share. There's times that might not be appropriate. I totally agree with that. But when we look at it from a classroom and we're building relationships with kids, if all we ever did was say like, hey, how you doing? Good. And we never asked again. We never did it. Like we've got a process. We've got highs and lows in a given day, not even in a year or like in a week or a month or an entire year. So number one, it's we've got to make every attempt to do it because it's the human side of things. And I think about and sometimes it's looking at we talk about empathy, we talk about SEL. What can we do it? Let me just give you two examples. How do we get to know the stories? Two examples that I share in Personal Authentic One. I think about even what my daughter's uh, fifth grade teacher, shout out to Mrs. Kleckner, what she did this past year. I'm very, on the very first night of school, 
she gave parents or grandparents an assignment and it was basically like, you can write one sentence or uh, 10 pages. It's totally up to you. What makes your child bold and, bold and courageous? You know what I wrote about? <laughs> uh, part of the story that I just told, which then gave her teacher what? Insight into how my daughter's world is. Insight into why she, when she goes into the average lunchroom with her severe allergies for sesame and tree nuts, and we were working through similar, it's called OIT therapy for tree nuts over the past year and a half. But when she, and it's because she's gotten to a point where she's relatively safe around them now because of the therapies over three years. But prior to that, like she'd go into a, um, you know, a lunchroom and her anxiety would go way up. Why? Because it, there's things around that room could have killed her in less than 20 minutes. Like that, that's anxiety causing, right? So getting to know the story, but the teacher just asked, but asked in a way of not, what is your, what child, you know, what trauma has your child experienced? It wasn't that it was just what makes them bold and courageous. Mm -hmm. Right. And you think about an example of that, like it gives an opportunity or it's kind of like this one. It's certainly not my idea. It's been out there many times, but like, I wish my teacher knew dot, 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 wide open writing prompt. doesn't matter if they're in second grade or they're in 12th grade. Mm -hmm. We give them an opportunity because it's easy to say like, well, how am I supposed to know their story? How am I supposed to know what they, I've got 120 kids. How am I supposed the flip side? Like, do you even give them an opportunity? I think sometimes in some of our most basic ones that have been done for decades, we look at like the writing journal and language arts or the English teacher, and we have prompts that are wide open. And you know what? Maybe a student chooses not to tell you the story. And you know what? That's okay. Like that's, that's them. But we've got to give them opportunities to feel comfortable in an environment that they can if they choose to. To me, so much of it comes down to trust. You think about starting that year off, like you're getting to know those kids a little bit, but then think about the students that may have just left you in the given school year. My hope in that case, you got a lot more trust there, at least a relationship built that they're much more comfortable on the last day than they were on that first day of sharing things. And that trust takes time. But when we know like trust is really the foundation of relationships, isn't it? And aren't relationships also the foundation of, of culture in our work? And so when we think about trust, when we think about culture, a lot of times I'll be coaching principals, coaching superintendents. And a lot of times they'll say like, where do we start with this work? And for me, I'll often say like, it really comes down to starting with the question, how do we build trust? And I think for me, getting to know the student stories of our students in those, not just first few days, but throughout the year, it's, we've got to give opportunities, but we have to foster an environment where they feel safe to be real, where they safe to be vulnerable. So moderate modeling that vulnerability, I really think is key where those, um, you know, those students, uh, or, I'm sorry, those teachers just having the opportunity to just keep it real. You know, I think sometimes educators have this, this perfectionist mindset because they have high expectations. They have high expectations for themselves and for others, which is a good thing. Don't want to lose that. But at the end of the day, like you're human, you're going to make mistakes. And when you do in front of students leverages an opportunity to show, look, like when things don't go my way, I get up and I keep trying and we're going to get up and keep trying and things are going to happen. Right. And so I think that we can leverage the vulnerability there. I think vulnerability is a key to leadership. I think it's a key to relationships. And in doing that, I think we encourage the stories of others to be able to magnify them there as well. Oh, so good. Absolutely. All right. So I got one more question for you. And it's one I love to ask because I think it's a great reminder for everybody. So, you know, we know teaching's hard. <laughs> we know education can be a challenging, but it, it again, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, I, I love what I do every day, but I think it's so important that we know what brings us joy, right? We know what brings us joy as an educator so that we know what to do on those days. So what is it that brings you joy as an educator? Yeah, when I was back in the classroom or being a building principal or district principal, It'd be the look in somebody's eyes when it finally works as a teacher, the look in somebody's eyes when they did it, a look in somebody's eyes of the teacher that finally got through to that kid who had been trying month after month after month after month and it happened, right? 
that's what would bring me joy when I was in, in a building or in a school, of course, in a classroom, it was the look in a student's eyes of I can do this, that belief in themselves. Right now, as somebody that runs a lot of professional learning, that, that speaks a lot with educators, that, that writes books and those pieces, for me, joy comes from the mindset shift and the mindset change when I have the opportunity and the privilege to influence it. <clears throat> Maybe it's tapping emotion and helping them see things a little bit differently in their own work, helping them shift their own mindset. For me, it's those, you know, when, when you're a teacher, sometimes you get those notes from parents or you get those notes from kids and, and they, they, they say that thank you. And sometimes it's out of the blue and you never expected it. Maybe it's a memory, but it's an impact. And for me in those moments, what, what brings me joy is seeing those shifts occur and then sometimes seeing the reflection of those shifts of helping them shift their mindset. Um, and not that they might've been in a bad place, but to just give them a different perspective, look at things differently, look at students in a different light that they may have always looked at them in, in whatever regard it may be. So for me, the joy comes down to people and we're going to have difficult days. And I look at the, the pandemic as we emerge through the pandemic and it's certainly not finished, but when we look through kind of like seeing the, the light at the end of the tunnel here, it's about people. And you see education can be some of the most lonely positions in the world, especially the higher up we go. But at the end of the day, when we let our guard down and we just are real with our colleagues and we have people that will love us enough to hold us accountable, like my mentor did for me, or encourage us and put our arm around us when we need to like get carried to the finish line, like my principal did for me, like we can do this and we will do this. And our students deserve for us to do it just like we had that adult way back when that might've been for us. And so what brings me joy by far and away is the people that we serve. Oh, I love it so much. All right, Tom, if people are not yet connected with you, where is the best place for them to go? Sure. I'd check out my website, thomascmurray.com, strictly because all of my social media is linked off of that. It's Thomas C. Murray on Twitter and Thomas C. Murray EDU on Facebook and on Instagram. Would love to connect with you. Awesome. Well, Tom, thank you so much for being here. I have loved hearing a little bit more about your story and uh, everything that you've shared today. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Lindsay. Absolutely. All right, listeners, stay tuned to another new episode, same time, same place next week. Until then, keep on loving who you are, trusting who you are, owning who you are. Those will help you define who you are each and every day. I will see you next week. Have an awesome week, everybody.